Good morning. I turned it to Matthew chapter 12. I stand up here with a lot of joy. I enjoy doing this. Um, So I do this with joy, but I also understand the responsibility that this is. And so I'm honored and and humbled as your servant here uh, to be able to do this. So let's read, we're just going to get through the first 14 verses this morning. So would you read with me? At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, which of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. The man stretched it out. And it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Let's pray one more time and ask God's blessing on his word. Lord, I'm a a man of incomplete thoughts and stumbling words, but your word is perfect. And so as we've read it, I pray that it influences our minds to act, think, behave, and be more like the people of God that you've called us to be. Use it to bend our personal desires to those of yours, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as so often is the case, when we're looking at a specific portion or part of Scripture, um, we need to read it in in light of the surrounding verses and the ones so immediately before, immediately after that. Now, In real estate, there's a prime kind of um, thought process that goes behind what is a valuable piece of property. So I'm going to pick on Caleb, brother, the only one I could think of that would be here today. What's the biggest thing in real estate, the most important of all that you hear? Location, location, A plus, buddy, thanks. Um, Location, location, location. That's what you hear. That's the most important thing. Right, So in reading scripture, um, really I think we should change that to say context, context, context. Right, So this really that's just good Bible reading practices. That's a good Bible reading discipline. Keep it in context. What's before? What's after? Um, what does it look like in light of the chapter? In light of the book? In light of the kind of group of books 
the Testament, all of those things. You kind of start small and then get big and say, how does God balance all of these things? Okay. So looking at the context uh, here in the beginning of Matthew chapter 12, this comes right after Jesus is, is really pleading to sinners and saying, take my yoke upon you because it's easy and it's light. Now, in that statement, and John covered this a few weeks ago, but in that statement, Jesus is dispelling, getting rid of any notion that in order to have his peace and his rest, you have to just simply work hard. He was getting rid of that idea. Okay, and I forgot to mention this. Your notes today look a little different. Um, there's blanks to fill in. I forgot to tell you that. Um, <laughs> So I also didn't hand out pens, so I hope you have something to write with. Uh, but just kind of be a little more interactive and keep you engaged a little bit. But that's one of the blanks is Jesus was saying, no, work, hard work is not the point here. And, and when I talk about rest, I'm talking about the security that we have in knowing that Christ has done everything necessary for our salvation and our ongoing sanctification now. It's, it's up to him. It's in his hands. And the older I get, I turned 36 this year. Is that right? 36? Okay. I, I thought I was 36 last year, so I got a whole year of my life back. Um, but 36, and I think I start, I'm starting to understand human nature a little bit more. And the more that I understand human nature, I, I just want to kind of point out something. And you're going to see this on the screen this morning. Um, but we have what I think is... Our solution for how to get God's rest and God's peace. So our solution to get rest and peace usually involves worry plus work. Right? So think about it. If that's our goal, if that's what we want, God's rest and God's peace, and I would think that we do, this is how we think we have to come to that solution. And for some odd reason, Christians especially get this idea that the more that we worry about a situation, the more spiritual we're being about it, right? It's a wrong idea, and we feel like for some reason we can just, well, I'll trust you more, Lord, if I can control this situation. Those are are kind of uh, opposite. And in chapter 6 of of uh, Matthew that we've already looked at, Jesus was really clear when he taught us about worry and being anxious. And he said, don't do it. It doesn't add an hour to your life. It's in reality, worrying is a waste of time and it proves or or reveals our lack of trust in God. I know that's hard to hear guys. It's hard for me to hear, but that's what worrying does, doesn't it? It shows that our trust is in the wrong place. It reveals that. Now, Jesus said, well, the birds don't worry. The flowers don't worry. They just do what God created them to do. So truth be told, worry betrays our faith because it's our attempt to stay in control. That's what worry is and does. But the the truth is, and I think if we're real honest with ourselves, we understand that you and I aren't in control, are we? No. I think it's probably time to recognize that we're not, but that there's someone who is our sovereign God. And so I would say this, don't worry 
trust your heavenly father who cares for you. That's what the birds and the flowers, that's what they do. They just trust God's provision for their life. Now, here's another thing. Worrying is, is hard work, isn't it? I mean, how many of you guys have had sleepless nights because of worrying? And then that wrecks your whole next day, maybe your whole week. And it, it's hard work. Think about the thing that you're worried most about right now. I'm not going to ask you to share it. Don't worry. Um, but just think about the thing that's on your mind the most and that you're worrying about. When you think of that thing, do you feel relief and comfort? Probably not. You probably feel anxiety. You probably feel a heaviness on you. That's because you weren't designed to bear that load. God did not give you that burden just so that you would be tougher. He didn't. So I would say, again, stop operating outside the umbrella of God's protection and God's rest. Instead, trust your heavenly father who cares for you. So our solution looks like this. Worry plus work equals rest and peace. But I think a better solution would be this. Trust equals rest and peace. So in order to have that, which God has promised, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you these things. This is how I think a better solution would be that we trust. Now, rest only comes when we exchange our heavy burden for his light burden, his easy one. Peace is only ours when we trust God with all of our lives. But lest we think that the answer here is just simply let go and let God, I feel compelled to remind us that following Christ is not usually just a walk in the park, is it? It's not. And we know that. We can see that. I mean, is it life-giving? Yeah. Is it freeing? Yes. Is it fulfilling? Absolutely. But it's not always easy. So, you know, that thing about taking up your cross every day and dragging it and following Jesus, that, that doesn't sound easy, but this is what we're called to do. Uh, you can read just a few pages in Fox's Book of Martyrs to see that this is true. People that have given their lives for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel. And again, I think Jesus has been really clear about what it really means to follow him. So I've got some things here that I want you guys to look at with me. This is what Jesus said in what we've talked about in Matthew so far. So far, This is what it would look like to follow Jesus. This is what it meant. So you're not supposed to be angry. Don't lust or cheat. Don't swear an oath. Don't retaliate when you've been wronged. Love those who hate you. Give generously without drawing attention to yourself. Forgive others without conditions. Fast without making a big show of it. Stay focused on eternal things instead of laying up treasures on earth. Don't worry or be anxious. Deal with your own sin before pointing out someone else's. Be devoted to Jesus even more than your own family. Speak of Jesus boldly and expect persecution and give over your worries to Jesus. That sounds really easy, doesn't it? I'm out of breath just reading those things. And you could probably comb through the text that we've gone through and find even a few more. But this is what Jesus says it's going to mean if you want to follow him. That's not a walk in the park because I guarantee you that every one of us struggles with more than only one thing on that list. But this is what we're called to do. 
called to be if we're going to follow Jesus. This is not just a walk in the park. So there's certainly more weight to following Jesus than just repeating a prayer and then going on with life as usual. This is a a drastic change of life for, for a human being. You cannot accomplish these things without the Spirit of God in you. It we'll talk about in a few minutes. So I would say it this way. I think I've got this in your notes. The Christian life involves constant determination and being active in our ongoing sanctification. Now, when I say active, I don't mean we do it. We're a part of it. Because you can, Christian, you can dig your heels in and your life won't be a whole lot of fun. There won't be a whole lot of joy. But when we actively engage positively in our sanctification, what God is growing us into, I mean, we find those, I don't know if you'd call it silver linings, but you see what God is doing in your life more clearly and more regularly. Uh, J.I. Packer has said it this way. Instead of let go and let God, he says, trust God and get going. I like that. Trust God and get going. There's a phrase that our students and I have talked about. It comes from Ephesians 2, and it's, it's a very short model that I hope you understand. But it, it's, it says this. We are saved by grace through faith for action. Because Ephesians 2 lays it out. It's not of us. It's not of works, because no one can boast. It's all by grace through faith, but we're saved for a purpose, for good works, for action. So the Christian life is not just resting, oh God, you're going to do everything for me. Now, in a sense, that's true because he's sovereign, but we actively engage and participate in this process. Hebrews 12 puts it this way, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, setting our eyes on Christ. So if if our equation A better solution looks like this. I think God's true equation would look more like this. Trust plus action equals rest and peace. Trust plus action equals rest and peace. And I say this because of what Jesus says at the end of chapter 11, when he says, come unto me, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. When he says that, it's obvious that he doesn't want us. Life wasn't, we weren't intended to be burdened by doing the things that we've looked at in that big long list. Jesus didn't, didn't expect that to be a burden for us to live that way because he was giving us his spirit. That's the only way that you can accomplish anything in the Christian life, that you can engage in culture that you can witness to your families with the spirit of God within you spurring you on and doing these things that's how it's his yoke is easy and his burden is light listen to to Romans chapter 8 verses 9 through 11 you however are not in the flesh but in the spirit if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. His spirit, Christian, 
His spirit dwells in you and gives you the strength and the power and the ability each morning to wake up and to live for him. And it's only by his spirit. You can't pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just do work for God. The spirit gives you power. The spirit gives you motivation and right thinking and right doctrine to go and do those things well. Now, uh, go back to, think back in your mind a couple weeks ago. Pastor John was talking about chapter 11. He was talking about Jesus saying, my yoke. And he explained, I think, uh, helpfully so, that yoke could refer to kind of a way of teaching or what Jesus said, you know, his teachings. And so I think it's pretty important to point out that the religious leaders of Jesus' day teaching was not at all like Jesus' teaching. Jason, uh, kids, Jason mentioned Pharisees. The Pharisees took scripture and added hundreds of other rules to the law. They heaped up these unfair requirements on people in order for them to think they needed to be, to do, to be acceptable to God. So they really, they stacked the deck against common people so that they looked better. Compared to the teachings of the Pharisees, Jesus' teachings were absolutely easy and light because he came through and he cut through all of that stuff and went right to the heart. But see, the real problem with the Pharisees was that they had a different understanding of the nature of God than Jesus did. They had a different concept, a different view of God himself. They thought that God was primarily a God who makes demands. They thought that... Uh, their scriptures were just a list of rules that they had to abide by and keep at any time and all costs. And their God looked only at the outward compliance of the law. Just what you did on the outside. But Jesus understood the nature of God. Psalm 145 says that God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And that God, we know that God looks at the heart not just the external, not just the outward things. So kids and adults, what we see in chapter 12, at least in these first 14 verses, is the real reason why the Pharisees didn't like Jesus. Well, because he ignored all of their extra superficial rules. He didn't believe like they did. So I just want to give some examples of this. Um, in the law, in Exodus chapter 16, the, the Hebrews were told, they said to keep the Sabbath day holy, right? And so there were some lists and some further explanation on what that meant. And it said that you, you weren't allowed to, to travel on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees heard this and they thought, well, well, what does it mean? What's really considered traveling? You know, can I, can I leave my house? Is that considered traveling? Can I walk around? Can I go around my house? Can I walk on my property? Is that traveling? Well, if that's not traveling, could I go to my neighbor's house? You know, if they're close by, is that considered traveling? And so they, 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 they complicated things. And so they, they came up with this idea. Well, if, if you're going to your neighbor's house that's less than 3,000 feet away and they're going to offer you food to eat, well, then that is an extension of your own house. And so you can go then that far plus 3,000 feet beyond that. But beside, but if beyond that, you're sinning. Okay? Do you see where we're going here? Um, one more thing. 
I want to talk about. Um, Jordan, come up here for a minute. He didn't know I was going to do this. Grab, grab your, that's your coat, right? Grab your coat and come up here. Jordan is, is interning with us this summer, and I'm very excited. No. So the law said in Exodus that you couldn't carry a load. So the Pharisees said, what's constitute a load? Well, are your clothes a load? So right now, according to the Pharisees, Jordan is sinning because he's carrying his coat. Okay, now now put your coat on. I, I see that. Okay, good. You're not sinning anymore. You're, you're wearing your coat. And so that, th- thank you. You can take your coat off if you get hot. So that was the distinction. Well, if I, if I wear my coat, it's not sin. But if I carry my coat, it's sin. Do you see how, how superficial and silly some of these things were? Uh, they, they were fearful of taking a bath on the Sabbath because if some of the water spilled out of the tub and hit the floor, that was washing the floor. Uh, you couldn't move chairs around because if you dragged a chair, uh, you could make a furrow in the ground for planting. Okay, do you see how, how, how silly some of these things are? And yet this is what the people of the day, and the Pharisees especially, thought that this is how I please God, by wearing a coat instead of carrying it. Silly things. And so Jesus comes up, and he enters the scene, and he says, you guys are missing the point. Big time here. See, they had elevated their rules to the same level as Scripture. And so if you broke one of their external rules, you were sinning. Not good. Not good. So you were violating the very law of God itself if you broke one of their rules. And this was exactly the kind of approach to God that Jesus was addressing at the end of chapter 11 when he said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened. Do you see why the people would have felt weary and burdened? Stuff like that living out every day? Man, when Jesus came and he taught that his burden was light, follow me, this must have been a breath of fresh air. And and I got to tell you, it should be a breath of fresh air to us. Because we get weighed down in so many similar ways. Maybe not dragging a chair across the ground on a Sunday, but little things. Man-made rules that are insignificant in the kingdom, that we put so much stock in. The Pharisees were missing the point, the heart of the law. And Jesus was here to set them and everyone else straight. And so to the text in Matthew chapter 12, they begin to attack Jesus because Jesus and the disciples were plucking grain from the field because they were hungry. Right? So... If you remember, in Old Testament times, they oftentimes, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, John, but they, they would harvest a field almost in a circular manner and use and leave the edges and the corners for the poor, for the widows, for the orphans, people that could not provide for themselves. And this was God's way of providing for people. Okay, And so it wasn't like Jesus and the disciples were stealing other people's property. This was there. 
for them for that type of a thing. The problem was it was the Sabbath, right? Because the fourth commandment, and I want you to turn there with me in Exodus chapter 20. Just keep a finger in Matthew 12 and look, flip back to Exodus chapter 20. This will be a familiar passage to you all, but look at verse 8 through 11. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This was given to the Israelites. Uh, remember, they're God's people set apart from other nations. Other people didn't do this because they didn't care about Creator God. But the Israelites did and should. And so God said, reflect what I do in what you do. Be set apart in like manner. And so they were to um, observe the Sabbath to keep it holy, set apart to use for God. The problem here was that uh, this was a violation of the Sabbath in the eyes of the Pharisees because they were doing work. When they walked through and they picked a head of grain or whatever it was off and they ate it, they were considered, the Pharisees just considered that reaping. They were harvesting, and that was a problem. That was the sin. And so Jesus takes them all the way back to scriptures that they should have known, and probably did, to 1 Samuel chapter 21, where he starts talking about the situation where David is in dire need of something to eat, him and his men. And he goes, so David, he goes to the, the priest at the time, Ahimelech, and he's, you know, he talks to him, and all that's there is the bread of the presence, the holy bread that's there for just a priest to eat. And they give it to David. David eats it, takes it to his men, and they eat it. And God rains judgment on them, right? No. Nothing happens to them. It's okay. Okay, so Jesus brings this up in order to prove a point. David was not condemned for eating this, for eating bread on the Sabbath, eating bread that was reserved for the priest. So if David and his men could do this in the house of God, it's okay for Jesus' disciples to eat in the presence of God. And here's Jesus is slipping in some information, some clues here, I think, to the Pharisees. He's getting at something here. So then Jesus references the... Uh, how the priests in the Old Testament were required on the Sabbath, told by God from Numbers 28, to offer sacrifices. Now, this was work, right? I, I personally have never slaughtered an animal, but I have talked with people, and it, it's not always an easy task. It's not a fun or clean task. It's work to do. Yeah, it's work to do this. And so Jesus says, well, wait a second. The priests did this, and yet they were un, they were remained clean. They profaned the Sabbath, and yet they were not judged for this. So that leads us to understand that some things that were forbidden to do on the Sabbath were allowed in the sanctuary, in the, in the temple. What was normal 
and not allowed here in this special place was allowed. But Jesus and his disciples weren't in the sanctuary, were they? Where were they? They were in the field. So what's Jesus saying here? Well, since there were clear expectations for working on the Sabbath in the presence of God, it follows then that it is permissible to work on the Sabbath in the presence of Christ, who is God in the flesh. So knowing that the Pharisees were going to object to this, Jesus just really lays it out there. And he says in verse 6 of Matthew 12, he says, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Or in, in some translations, it says, in this place is one greater than the temple. You guys picking up on this? You see what he's saying? I mean, it was lost on the Pharisees. Jason mentioned it to the kids. He said that the Pharisees didn't get this. And I, I think it was really lost on the disciples too at this point. Um, but Jesus was referring and pointing to himself. Someone is great. Someone greater than the temple is here. I don't think he did this, but this is what he means. Someone greater is here. Jesus Christ in the flesh was the dwelling place of God. God incarnate, right? Hebrews chapter one, right in the, right off the bat starts telling us that everything we need to know about God is revealed in his son, Jesus. In fact, in John chapter two, verse 19, you'll remember this. Jesus is talking to the same kind of religious leaders and he says, go ahead, tear the temple down. Why? I'm going to raise it back up in three days. They didn't understand that either. They were thinking physical bricks, mortar building, but Jesus was talking again about himself, right? And so that leads us to understand that after making sacrifice of sin on the cross, after paying the sin debt that we owe, the dividing curtain in that temple was torn in two, proving that the separation between God and man was now gone. It was free access to the Father granted through the Son to anyone who believes. Jew, Gentile, man, woman, slave, free, social elite, poor, everyone. So in reality, the disciples and Jesus, they weren't breaking any Levitical law at all because the dwelling place of God was present with them in the flesh. That's how they could do these things and not offend a holy God. And Jesus, you know, really, I think, to confirm and reveal the sin in the Pharisee's heart and their blindness of heart, Jesus quotes Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, when he says, For it's love that I seek, not sacrifice, knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. See, the Pharisees... They had the strict adherence to the law down pat. The strict adherence to the sacrifices. They did it right, man. They were right on. And they probably let everyone know it. We see evidence of that in Scripture. But what they lacked was love. Was genuine love. Love for God the Father and the Son. And real love for other people, which is evidenced by what happens next. So if you remember this account that we read, Jesus goes from the field and he goes towards their synagogue. And who does he meet? He, he, he meets a guy with a, a withered hand, a crippled hand. We, we get told 
in the text what the Pharisees thought when they saw this man. They thought of themselves. We're going to trap Jesus using this guy. Right? They didn't love him. They didn't care about him. They only intended to use him for their selfish purposes. And so they asked Jesus, hey, is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? Now, even in their rules, laws, if you were going to save somebody from death, a life-giving kind of miracle healing, that would be okay. But this guy's just got a withered hand. That's not life-threatening. Jesus shouldn't be healing on the Sabbath. So they were trying to trap him by using a man who was injured, who was hurting, who was disregarded. They just did not get it. So Jesus, he challenges the Pharisees and he says, he starts talking about a sheep stuck in a pit. You remember this sheep stuck in a pit on the Sabbath. Basically he says, Hey, if you had a sheep and it fell in a pit, you'd go get it. And I think they all probably agreed. And he says, how much more value does this man hold than just any old sheep? See, they revealed their lack of love when they used this man for their own selfish purposes. Had they really cared about the things of the Lord, they would have been more concerned with people than just strictly adhering to their laws. But thankfully, Jesus loved that way. Jesus did care more about people than he did about just following the rules. So let me, let me wrap us up and make a couple applications here. I think the back page of your notes has kind of a, a page for application. Um, number one, this goes back to what we talked about at the beginning. Life is too short to spend it worrying. Stop it. <laughs> I don't know how else to appeal to you. Um, just stop it. Life is too short for that. Yours and mine. Don't waste it in anxiousness and worry. It's, it's not worth it. Um, Jesus says, take up my yoke and learn from me. I didn't talk about this before, but that word learn is important in this. Because, um, you know, students in school, uh, raise your hand if you're a student in school. Homeschool, public school, private school, raise your hand. Okay, do you know, you can put your hands down, do you know everything there is to know about a topic after studying it one time? Probably not. Very good chance no. If you're anything like me, absolutely not. You have to study it repeatedly over and over. You have to learn about it, right? So following Jesus is a process of sanctification where we learn of him. We learn each day, Lord, I don't need to worry about that. I give it over to you. And we're learning in that process how to do that better and more frequently. We have to learn what it means to be his disciple, to let go of worry, to stop trying to control things. And and there, and I think only there, out from under the burden of our need for self, for control of things, do we actually find God's rest and peace? The second thing I would call our attention back to is when I mentioned that Jesus cares more about people than he does about following the rules. Jesus was willing to take criticism in order to help someone that others just disregarded. There's something I think that we really need to take note of here. Jesus was, among other things, but he was affirming 
the value of human life. This man, even in its, you know, crippled so form, was of much more value than a sheep in a pit. But the Pharisees didn't, didn't think about it that way. So they wanted to use the man for their own purposes. But Jesus saw through the problem and saw the man for who he was. Saw his need for salvation and healing. Guys, as Christians, we ha- if we say we love God, and if we say we're following Jesus, then we have to be willing to reach out to those who are hurting and who are ignored by society. If, if, any, if, if anybody's going to do it, it ought to be us. Amen. We have to be willing to look past the surface and see people for who they really are. Here's something that I wrestled with saying or not this week. Because it hurt me to, it hurt me to hear it. But it's this. When we worry more about following our man-made rules and traditions rather than caring for actual people, we've become a Pharisee. If I care more about strictly adhering to a set of man-made rules and I really do care about my hurting neighbor, I'm a Pharisee. And in like way, if I give to a need or to a person just so that other people see it and it makes me look better, I've become a Pharisee. And you've become a Pharisee if you do that too. Lastly, sandwiched between Jesus in the field and Jesus, you know, in the synagogue, um, he makes a, a bold and important statement. He says, and kids, this is the, the first part of what we want to memorize for chapter 12 in Matthew is that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He says the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is proclaiming to the world, everyone who hears him and who would hear, that he has authority over the Sabbath and is therefore greater than the law. Now this is a big deal for the people in Jesus' day, especially the Pharisees who he's talking to, because that's all they had in their mind with the concept of God. Law. Rules. Perfect obedience. But Jesus is saying that he's not only greater than the law, he's the author of the law. He was there when it was written. So if you follow the mindset maybe of a Pharisee in that day, you're thinking, okay, when you hear Jesus say this, you're thinking, okay, well, if he's greater than the law, then that means he's greater than Moses. Moses was a big deal to them because of the Old Testament law. If he's greater than Moses, who was given the law, who God entrusted the law, well then, maybe he really is God. And that wasn't a conclusion that they wanted to come to. This didn't fit into their concept of how God operates. So I have to ask this question. I want to ask this question. Has God ever moved in your life in that kind of a way? Has God ever moved in a way that frustrates your concept of him and what he might do? Has he ever moved in that kind of a way in your life? And I'll be honest with you, I kind of hope he has. I don't want him to either, Milo. It's tough for us to hear that. (laughs) Yes. I hope God has moved in our hearts in this way. At some point in our life, and this is why. 
if you only see God move in your life in ways that you expect and understand, then there's a very good chance that you're not serving the God of the Bible. You're serving the God of yourself. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote the books, The Chronicles of Narnia, wonderful books for kids and adults. But in there, uh, there's a character of Aslan, who is, Aslan, who is the, the picture of God, really. And the little girl, uh, Lucy, she asked a question at one point. She says, well, is he safe? I think John's mentioned this before. She asks, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver, who can talk in, in the book, he says, he says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. Mr. Tumnus, the fawn, he also says, well, he's wild, you know. He's not a tame lion. What I mean is this. Let God be God in your life and stop trying to control him. In the church, in your family, in your place of work with your coworkers, stop trying to micromanage the spirit. You can't tame the lion, okay? Let God be God. By claiming to be the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus was saying that the only way to become right before God is not through following certain rules, certain regulations, all these extraneous things that the Pharisees had stacked up to follow. That wasn't the way, Jesus said. The way to become right before God is through repentance and through faith and through trusting Jesus as Lord and then resting in him. This is the path to the solution of rest and peace. We trust our Heavenly Father. We get up and go we get going in our sanctification. So the question that I'd like us to ask as we finish and we sing a song in reflection is to kind of evaluate yourself right now and just ask, am I really trusting Christ? Am I really resting in his work in my life? Or am I busy? Am I exhausted working myself so hard in worrying? in working in things that God has never designed us to do. Where are you? Now's the time. Don't delay. Now's the time to ask and be serious with yourself. So Jacob, guys, come on up. And we're going to sing a song that just, it, it, it's, a ple- it's a pleading for God to move. We're saying, God, I want to know you. I want to follow you. I want to hear from you. And so if you don't know the words or the tune, just Be talking with the Lord as we sing this last song together. And before we do, let's pray together. Father, the only way, the only way, the only way for us to be right before you is not keeping a strict set of rules. Lord, it's following, trusting, obeying, looking to the Son, and believing recognizing, Lord, that you paid our sin debt on the cross and that you you proved that it's totally done, paid in full, that it is finished by rising again. Lord, my hope, my heart's desire as we leave from here is to not be Pharisees, 
to not be so concerned with our man-made rules that we miss the point. God, we need you to reveal that to us. Break our hearts, Lord, for what breaks yours. In your name we pray, amen.